All right, 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 10 through 22. I'm going to go ahead and read it to us. And like I said, we're going to be taking a look at the false teachers where we left off last time. We saw this partial description of, of their situation and is Peter's discourse on false teachers. We saw that we're to watch out for them and that God will judge them and protect us at the same time. But in tonight's study, we're going to look a little more closely at what these false teachers look like and the motives behind their wickedness. Now, like I said before we started our recording, I want you to pay close attention, though, because as we look at these men, God may reveal a little bit about our hearts and motives as well. All right. Now, keep in mind, God does not consider his children, those of us who have been born again through faith in Jesus Christ. He doesn't consider us to be wicked, but he uses many things to shape us and to show us uh, uh, things about ourselves that he wishes to remove in the process of refining us. So I don't want us, as we look at this, to sit back and think, well, he's dealing with Peter's dealing with false teachers and I'm not a teacher, so I'll never be a false teacher. And, and those are just separate from us. And those are wicked men that we already looked last time we met that their condemnation, condemnation is waiting for them and God's going to judge them. There's a tendency to sit back and think, well, that doesn't apply to me. And what just jumped off the pages at me as I was sitting on that airplane and working on this Bible study was how much every single thing that he talked about, the false teachers, applied to me. Yet there's a difference. And that difference, and it, as you'll see, everything that they struggle with, everything they're accused of, you will be convicted of as well. But there's a difference. And I even told my children, I thank God that they come and if they want to come. I even told them, I've been proud of the fact that they pay attention. But I even told them on the way here tonight as we were driving from Gainesville, if there was ever a lesson I wanted you to listen to, it's tonight. Because this lesson will have an effect on how you're able to mature in your walk with Christ and to avoid the traps of sin. And I told them, pay attention tonight if there was a night to pay attention. If you pay attention tonight, you can ignore next week, okay? All right. And that's a joke. All right. Let me read this section to you, verses 10 through 22. It says, This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature and despise authority. Bold and arrogant these men are, not, and bold and arrogant, these men are not afraid to slander celestial beings. Yet even angels, though they are stronger and more powerful, do not bring slanderous accusations against such beings in the presence of the Lord. But these men blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like brute beasts, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. And like beasts, they too will perish. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed, an accursed brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, a beast without speech, who spoke with a man's voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These men are springs without water and mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them, for they mouth empty boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of sinful human nature, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity, for a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then turned their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit and a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. Now, as you can tell, that's a lot to cover in our hour that we have. So let's start taking a look at this. As Peter describes these false teachers, he describes them as ones who follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature or the flesh, and they despise authority. Now, I want you to kind of, if you're taking notes, write that down and make that clear, because this is going to be the key part of what we're looking at tonight. These false teachers are characterized, the, the root of what's coming out of why they are the way they are is the fact that they have followed the corrupt desire of the sinful nature or the flesh and they despise authority. Now we all struggle against the desires of our flesh even though we've been redeemed, but these people have given in to fighting those desires and they no longer struggle. You understand what I'm, see the difference here? 
you know that you struggle with sin still. Even though you're born again, even though the Spirit of God lives within you, you still have a struggle against sin. Just like Paul said in Romans 7, the things I want to do, I don't. Things I don't want to do, I do. Ugh, who could save me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. We all know the struggle against the flesh, but the difference between us and these people who are not redeemed is they don't struggle anymore. They follow the desire of the flesh. They've given in to it, and along with that, they despise authority. If we're honest with ourselves, we would admit that we too don't like authority. Let's just be honest. We don't. We, we pretend to, but we, we, every one of us, because of the flesh, because of the pull of sin, we don't like authority. We ought to be in charge. Men don't like having a boss. They dream of being their own boss. Uh, women bristle at God's design for submission to their husbands. You know, we smile when the preacher preaches from that passage in Ephesians 5. But let's be honest, in your flesh, the whole idea of submission to your husband, you don't like. Children push against their parents' authority. They test the limits of what they can do, or they sneak disobedience behind their parents' backs. You've been there, haven't you, when you were a kid? We all don't really like authority. We want to decide what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil. And boy, doesn't that sound like Genesis chapter 3 when Satan came to Adam and Eve and says, God knows if you eat from this tree that he told you not to, you'll be like him and you decide right and wrong, good and evil. We've all got that problem within us. But these ones that Peter is describing as awaiting judgment are described as ones who despise authority. They not only hate authority over them, they totally ignore it. They've decided that, yeah, you know what, even if there is a God, I don't care. Remember the story of the unjust judge in Luke 18? We're not going to take the time to turn there, but if you were to go back, you would see that he says when this woman kept coming to him, he says, even though I don't fear God nor care about man, I'm going to do what I want with this woman because she's doing me crazy, driving me crazy. Think about what he just said. Even though I don't fear God nor care about man, I don't have an authority that I want to submit to. I do what I do because of how I feel. These men are described as not only hating authority over them, they totally ignore it. And they go so far in their dislike of authority and their rejecting of authority that they then slander celestial beings, angels. Now, there's something here we have to kind of learn from, and we're going to do a little bit of a study on this. Um, Peter points out here, though, that even angels won't slander celestial beings. And oh, by the way, angels have more authority than you. One day... When we get to the new heaven and the new earth, you're going to rule over angels. But in the time being, they have far more power and authority than you. And I even have to watch out for myself sometimes because I like to say Satan's a jerk. But you know what? The more I come to understand what the Bible teaches, the more I have to understand I'm not fighting Satan in my own power. The only one that can defeat Satan is Jesus, and he already has, and he will continue to do so. And I'm not one of these ones that's going to fall into that mentality of thinking that I can rebuke Satan. Bible says that if you see here, go to Jude, put a bookmark here in 2 Peter, and go to Jude, verses 8 through 10. I want you to also put a bookmark in Jude, because you're about to see that we're going to go back and forth between Jude and 2 Peter over and over, because there's a lot of similarities. If you remember, Jude was written because he felt he had to deal with the false teaching that had crept into the church. Uh, Peter had told us that it was, a day was coming when these false teachers would arise. Jude is dealing with a time period when they had already crept in. Look at verses 8 through 10. It says, in the very same way, these dreamers, talking about false teachers, pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and slander celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Yet these men speak abusively against whatever they don't understand and what things they do understand by instinct, like unreasoning animals, they're the very things that destroy them. We're going to come back to that animal comment in a sec. But if you realize, there's something that went on. We don't have a whole lot more evidence of what it was. We would love to know when did Ar the Archangel Michael dispute with Satan over the body of Moses. Maybe it was at the time that Moses died. And if you remember going back to the end of Deuteronomy, Moses is, goes up on the mountain with God one last time. And he dies there. And God buried him somewhere, the scripture says. But they didn't know where he was. And that's part of why in the beginning of Joshua chapter 1, God says to Joshua, Moses my servant is dead. Now for years I used to read that as 
Oh, duh, God, of course Moses is dead. But then I realized as I took a look at Scripture more, came to realize there's a real good chance that Joshua didn't know that Moses was dead. Remember, Moses had made trips onto that mountain up alone with God. And remember, he went up there for 40 days and 40 nights, and the people, when they built the golden calf, they said, we don't know, as for this fellow Moses, we don't know what happened to him. But on this trip up the mountain, he didn't come back, and it had been a while and that's why God comes to Joshua and says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now it's time for you to take charge. The reason God told Joshua that he was dead is because he didn't know. Something happened to Moses' body that we really don't know. It was buried and they never found it. Yet at the same time, when we see here in Scripture that at some point, Michael the archangel and Satan argued over the body of Moses. And Michael the archangel said, the Lord rebuke you. So if angels, who have far more power and authority than us right now, aren't even going to slander celestial beings, we need to be real careful as well. We need to submit ourselves to God, resist the devil, and then he'll flee. A lot of preachers out there will tell you, oh, you got the power to rebuke him and you can just bind Satan. You ever heard preachers say that? They'll say, you have the power because of your Christianhood to bind Satan. Listen closely. If you remember back in our study of Hebrews, we saw that everything has been subjected to Jesus Christ. All authority has been given, yet he's not exercising his full authority yet. Otherwise, if God wanted him fully bound, Jesus would have bound him already. He's going to be bound and thrown into the pit during the tribulation period for that thousand years. I mean, sorry, the millennial kingdom for the thousand years. But we have to be real careful of anyone that starts to say that you can just say this to Satan or say that to Satan. No, no, no. You submit yourself to God. You resist him. But the one who fights him is not you. It is Jesus. Yes, ma'am. What is celestial beings? Celestial beings are angels. These are... But you said they were... Angels were more powerful. They are more powerful than us. Than celestial beings. No, no. Angels are the celestial beings that are more powerful than oh, us. Right. Yeah, celestial beings is another word for angels. Right. Okay? okay. There's God... And there's his angels that are celestial beings. And, of course, we know some of them as demons now, the bad angels and the good angels and so on. The demons are the bad angels. Those are the celestial beings we're talking about. All right? But I'm glad you asked that in case someone else had that question. But we also see here in Jude 10 and 2 Peter 12, we see Peter and Jude using the same images to describe these false teachers. He used the term brute beasts or animals or creatures of instinct. Now, I really want you to see this. Because there's something here that will be a benefit to us as well. Look again in verse 10 of Jude. These men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand and what things they do understand by instinct. Like unreasoning animals, these are the very things that destroy them. And back in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, the scripture says, But these men blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like brute beasts, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed, and like beasts, they too will perish. Now, hopefully you understand this about animals. They act on instinct. What they do has been put in them by God in their inner being, if you will, or their, in, in their nature and how they're created. And most animals act on instinct. And you know, some of us have dogs and cats and parakeets that we think are so smart and you can train them to do, but let's be honest. That's why you never ever really have a tiger for a pet, right? You might've raised him from a cub, but at any moment, and you've heard the stories, he could eat you. Why? Because he's still a wild animal and he's still acting on instinct. Something will trigger some kind of an instinct. And this description though, by Jude and Second Peter, and by Peter here in Second Peter, is a picture of these men, he said, are actually like animals. They're acting on their instinct and what's within them. And then as I was looking at that, all of a sudden some scriptures came to my mind. And all of a sudden I thought back to some passages in the Old Testament that talk about how when we become insensitive to the Spirit of God within us, we too become like animals when it comes to our relationship with God. Let me show you what I'm talking about. All right, go with me to Psalm 73. Jim, are these men, are they challenging Christians? Are they uh, trying to disguise themselves as believers? Oh, they're disguising themselves as believers. They're actually, they've come up within the church. They're teaching things that are unbiblical, as you'll see as we get it. They, so they're they, in the church. They're in they're the church. Confessing to be Christians. They're confessing to be Christians. The Bible made clear, as we looked in our last study, that they're not. 
because the descriptions of them are very clear that they're not believers, nor were they ever were. Uh, but at the same time, they become teachers and they lead people astray by their false teaching. And Peter's saying, look, watch out for these, these individuals. Now, in Psalm 73, look at verses 21 through 22. If you know anything about Psalm 73, Asaph is, is lamenting uh, the fact that he envied the wicked when he saw how they prosper. And he, as a righteous man, was suffering. And it made him even question whether or not God was good. And then, of course, as he meditated on it, he came to the realization of as good as their life may look now, when all is said and done, I wouldn't want to trade places with them then, so I'll hang on now. But look at what he says here in verses 21 and 22. He says, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. You see it? What makes diff the difference between animals and you and I? They don't have a spirit, folks. Now, there are those who wrestle with the trichotomous view and the dichotomous view. And for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, uh, I, I lean toward, I can't say I'm going to stake my life on it because this is one of those things we don't fully understand. But I lean toward a trichotomous view of the human being, which means that I think we're made up of body, soul, and spirit. I think there's three parts to us. There are them, some that say we just have body and spirit, or that soul and spirit are interchangeable. And sometimes you can see the words used interchangeably. I lean toward the fact that we're in the trichotomous view. I believe that we have a body, that we have a soul, and that's our, our intellect, our will, our emotions, and we also have a spirit. Uh, and plants have just a body. Plants don't have a soul. They definitely don't have a spirit. Animals, I believe, have a body and a soul. I mean, they're definitely animals that have personalities and will, and they have a character, if you will. But animals don't have a spirit. I'm sorry to say that. If some of you are hoping your dog's going to be in heaven, you know, I, I, from what I can understand from Scripture, it doesn't look that way. doesn't mean there won't be animals, but I don't know if it's going to be fluffy. All right, so uh, let me just, just leave that there. But the difference between animals and humans is we have a spirit and the ability to connect with God and respond to God. And when we turn that part of us off, when we, as the Scripture has in some place, have our consciences seared as with a hot iron. When we become hard-hearted, when we become, become insensitive to the Spirit of God convicting us, we become like a brute beast or an animal before God, and we start acting on instinct and not the leadership of the Spirit. And folks, like I said, the difference between us and these false teachers is we struggle with the same things they struggle with, the same desires they had, we have. But the difference between us and them is we are born again and have the Spirit, and hopefully you stay sensitive to the Spirit. And this is what I wanted my kids to listen to, because when they leave the house, and one's heading off to college this fall, when they leave the house, dad and mom won't be there anymore to keep track of what they're watching, or to keep track of what they're looking at on the internet, or to be watching where they go, or what they say, or what they listen to, or what they take in with their senses. We pray that the Spirit of God within them will be the one they listen to. Folks, you know full well, people that end up in sin never intended to end up as far down the road as they got. But it started. But when the Spirit of God would give that touch or that conviction, they tuned it out. Oh, this isn't that big of a deal. Or I, 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 can, I can stop whenever I want when it gets to be a problem. It's not hurting anybody. It's only hurting me if it's hurting me at all. And in time, we become hard-hearted. And that ability to connect and to hear the Spirit of God. What does the Bible say? Don't grieve the Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit. Folks, if I could say anything to you from this message, stay sensitive to the Spirit. Something happened today. I'm not going to say this young boy's name, but we got a phone call as we were driving back. And this mama said that she had a young boy, and he's, I don't know, eight years old? Eight or nine years old. And he was going to meet us at our house as soon as we got home because he had something that he wanted to confess. We were oblivious. But he confessed that he had stolen something. We didn't even know it was missing. But he, as a young boy, became convicted by the Spirit of God within him. And he knows Jesus as his Savior. And as a young boy, he confessed to his mom and dad. And he's the one who said, I want to go tell the Johnsons. And so he showed up at our house in that brief little moment we were home. We showed up together and he confessed and asked for forgiveness. And of course we gave it. 
But oh, it was so cool. I wanted to hug that boy, parade him up and down the streets. I wanted to stand him in front of the church. He was sensitive to the spirit of God. I want to reward that. Folks, if you are not sensitive, if you learn to tune him out and you've been there, you know you have, I have too. When you keep doing that, you become less and less sensitive. And in time, you become like a brute beast. Oh, and you don't want to be like that. Go to Psalm 32 and look at verse 9, an even more clear description of this. Psalm 32, verse 9. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Let me read that again. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. See the difference between us and the animals? Oh, they can be taught. No, they're still just learning instinct. If you know anything about Pavlov's theory, positive reassurance and all that uh, reinforcement, they're just learning things by instinct. They know how to respond. There's a difference between us and the animals. And the sad thing is, many a Christian has become like the brute beast before God. But the good news is, if you are born again, the Spirit of God will never leave you nor forsake you. He may have to turn up his uh, ability to communicate with you and use harsher methods, if you will, to get your attention. But if you learn to be sensitive to the Spirit early and not begin to learn how to say no when the Spirit convicts or to tune him out, you will stay sensitive to God and you won't end up like that. Now, as we also look at Peter's continuing description of these uh, false teachers in 2 Peter 2, look at verse 13. We'll see a parallel between that and verses 3 through 4 of Jude. We'll see another characteristic of these men. Look at 2 Peter 2, verse 13. It says, they will be paid back with, the harm, with harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. Look at verses 3 and 4 of Jude. Dear friends, as, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I, had, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of God of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. What he's saying here is that these men had crept into the church and they were now teaching that because of the gospel of grace and the fact that we're forgiven already, where all our sins, past, present, and future are already forgiven, because we're not under law, that means you can do whatever you want. And they used it, they taught that the gospel of grace was a, a licensed sin. And I just want to take some time to remind you of some scriptures that talk about this. Go to Galatians chapter 5 and look at verse 13. And then we're going to look at Galatians 5 verses 16 through 21. Galatians 5, and look at verse 13. In Galatians 5, uh, Paul is talking about it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. But in verse 13, he makes this statement. He says, You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. In other words, yes, you've been called to be free, but you're not free to sin. That's not what your freedom means. Now, we're not going to take the time to turn there or to even teach what the freedom fully is. That's a whole study of Galatians, which we might do at a later time. Um, but look at Galatians 5, verses 16 through 21. It says, So I say, live by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature or the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Holy Spirit, you are not under law. Now, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft. Now, listen closely, because we tend to tune out when we read those, so we think, oh, I'm not that bad. But look at what's in that same list. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, 
drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Do you see what's in the middle? In between debauchery, sexual immorality, idolatry, witchcraft, and orgies is this list that we don't tend to think is, just, is, is as serious as that other stuff. But the Bible says that discord, hatred, jealousy, selfish ambition, all that is just as serious as the orgies. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit or the evidence of the Holy Spirit in you is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Holy Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit and let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other, he says. So these teachers were saying that the gospel of grace is a license to sin. Hopefully we don't have to go any further than that. Hopefully you understand that anything listed in Galatians 5, 19 and following there up to verse 22 um, is not approved no matter what the preacher says, no matter what the false teacher says. If they say, oh, that's okay, you're under grace and it's on that list, don't listen to that person. They're a false teacher. Your freedom doesn't mean you're free to sin. 1 John chapter 2 starts off with John writing to his children saying, I write to you, my dear children, that you may not sin. So we're not free to sin. The good news is our sins are forgiven, but don't use the, the grace of God as a license to sin. Another description of these men's wickedness is in their greed. In 2 Peter, go back to 2 Peter chapter 2, look at verses 14 through 16, and then we'll jump to Jude verse 11. Verses 14 through 16, it says, With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in what? Greed. An accursed brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, a beast without speech, who spoke with a man's voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Now, I don't know how many of you know the story of Balaam, but if you remember the story of Balaam, he was a prophet of God. And he was contacted by this one king to come and curse the Israelites. Of course, God says no. But the reason Balaam kept talking to Balak, this king who was offering to pay him lots of money to curse the Israelites, was because Balaam was tempted by the money. And the reason the donkey spoke was because he was on his way to go meet with this king again when God had said, don't you dare. And the angel was in the, the, the road there, and the angel was going to strike him dead. The donkey saw it, but Balaam didn't. And the donkey kept you know, going off the road because he saw what was coming up. And of course, the man, Balaam starts to beat his donkey, and the donkey then turns to him and says, why are you doing this? Why are you hitting me? And that got his attention, of course, when the donkey started talking. But the reason Balaam was even considering to do what God said not to do was what? Money. Listen to Jude 11. In Jude 11 it says, Woe to them, they have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. Again, we see the parallel between Jude and 2 Peter here. I want to read to you a scripture from 1 Timothy 6, though, that I hope you will highlight and mark, burn into your brain, and use it to... Uh, through the Spirit give you wisdom as you listen to some of the preachers that are around there and especially those that are on TV. In 1 Timothy 6, listen to verses 3 through 10. 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, verses 3 through 10. Paul says, If anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Now, I'm going to keep reading in a second here, but I want you to see that again. He says, these false teachers have fallen prey to the thinking that godliness is a means to financial gain. Now, tell me if that isn't exactly what some of these health and wealth preachers are teaching. Uh, well, you know, we could name names, but there's no need to do that. The Spirit of God will teach you to watch out for it. Our purpose isn't here to name names. 
because I don't want you avoiding people because Jim said so. You get the Spirit of God within you and He'll give you wisdom to know what to avoid. But listen, those who will teach you that if you are righteous and if you give to their ministry or you do these certain things, God will make you rich and God will pay off your mortgage and all these kinds of things that they offer. You got to be careful. These guys walk around with all these rings and cars and mansions and stuff and they try to say to you that it's scriptural. That those who live, Abraham was a wealthy man, and they list all this stuff. Now, please hear me. God doesn't say that being wealthy is a sin. As you're about to see, it's not money that's evil. It's the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. But at the same time, there are preachers and teachers out there that will say to you, if you are righteous, God will then make you rich. It's a means to financial gain. Please listen closely. I believe the Bible does teach that God rewards those who honor him and honor those who honor him. And he blesses those who honor him. But it doesn't mean that you're going to have financial gain. He'll meet your need. He'll even give you some cool blessings and wonderful treats at times. But don't take that further than it is and think that that means God's going to make you rich. Jesus himself even said, watch out for riches. It's hard for a rich person to get into the kingdom of heaven. There's more pulling them away. Those of us who are poor, we know we need Jesus, right? The rich sometimes think they don't. But keep reading. But it says in verse 6, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, I'm just going to tell you from experience, and some of you might even know some of these like that. I've watched over the years as I deal in the ministry with dealing with leadership and churches and especially pastors. How many pastors I have run into over the years that had one or two or three side businesses along the way as they were pastoring the church. They also had this car dealership license and they were buying flipping houses at the same time. And th there is a tendency for those in the ministry to think, man, I'm going to make a quick buck. And one of the dangers of being in the ministry is, and even with what we do, you know, you all support. Many of you give to Just a Preacher Ministries, and we thank you for, for, for what you do. But we have to be real careful, too, that we don't try to get in good with certain folks because they got money and they could give us more. And that kind of a thing. And we have to be real careful. A lot of the people that fell over time started way back and they weren't that way a lot of people that we could name names have got into all the money and then they ended up in the sin and some of them in jail and all this kind of stuff if you were to look back on the beginning of their life when they started in ministry some of these people and I'm not going to name names but one husband and wife team actually started doing ministry in the back of their station wagon with puppets and they would travel around doing puppet shows for children from the back of their station wagon and God was in it and he blessed them. And people normally, as the Bible says, if, if someone's blessed you spiritually, you're to give. But over time, as the money came in, their submission to the authority of God kind of left as living for the dollar became greater. And eventually, it led them down a road they never intended to. But we all have to be real careful, don't we? Doesn't everyone, haven't every one of us had that temptation of, what if I bought one lottery ticket and nobody knew? You know, there's that there's that side of all of us, isn't it? That, oh, if so-and-so would die, I hope they'll leave me some money. You know, there's that, that sense of wanting that in the back of our mind, that little extra, it's going to take care of us. Folks, there's no difference between these false teachers and you and I, except we hopefully are still struggling against the pull of the flesh. And learning to say yes to the spirit and no to the flesh. These stopped fighting. And they followed the desires of the flesh. And they despised authority. Now, since we already looked at verses 20 through 22, the last time we met. What I really think God wants me to do in the time we have left is to take some time now to look at 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 17 through 19. And I want you to listen closely. Because of all the places, this one hit me the hardest. And I pray that the Spirit of God will help you to see yourself for what He sees. Again, His purpose is not to condemn you. 
His purpose is to lift you up. His purpose is to show you what he sees for your good, not because he thinks you're wicked or evil. If you're his child, he loves you. But there is something that came out in this section as I was on that airplane doing this study that just hit me between the eyes and God said, this is the direction you're to end the study. Listen closely to what he says in verses 17 through 19 of 2 Peter chapter 2. It says, these men are springs without water and mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. They mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of sinful human nature, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. Now, if you look at Jude 12, you'll see that very similar descriptions are used of these men, and I want to kind of pull out what they're talking about here in these word pictures that they're using. Look at verse 12. These men are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit, and uprooted twice dead. Now again, we see a tremendous parallel between 2 Peter 2 and Jude. And he starts to use some interesting descriptions. He describes them as springs without water and mists driven by a storm. In other words, they have the appearance of refreshment, but really there is none. In other words, he said, you got to watch out for these false teachers because they appear to be on your side. They appear to be speaking to your need and to your situation, and they are offering hope but honestly they're like showing up at a spring and finding no water or you know when you, you know you need rain and you see clouds coming and you get excited oh good clouds are coming and then they just blow right on by and nothing falls it looked like it was going to be refreshing but there really is no refreshment and he says these men are like that they're described also as shepherds who feed only themselves can you imagine being a sheep and being hungry and you see the shepherd come and you think, all right, the shepherd's coming, we're going to eat. And then he sits down and feeds only himself. He had the appearance of being there for you, but he was really there for himself. Again, Jude calls them clouds, but no rain. He also calls them autumn trees, but no fruit. Remember when Jesus went and saw on his way to Jerusalem and he saw that fig tree and had leaves, but there was no fruit? They have an appearance of, hey, check it out, it's harvest. Nope, there's nothing there. And then, <laughs> then they said, well, let me just back up and say, put it to you this way. As I was sitting there looking at this, first of all, I wanted to make sure that in the ministry I wasn't like this as well. That I wasn't the one of those ones who was in ministry for myself. And thank God, I didn't believe that he was showing me that. But it began to open my eyes to something about myself and about each of us that I just want to kind of go into a little bit. See, these false teachers appeared to be helpful, but in reality, they're in it for themselves, correct? I have to watch out for this in my life, and so do you. In other words, until we shed this body, we'll all have the pull of selfishness. We really do. And many times we do good things, but our motives for doing them are really selfish. Remember the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13 that love does not seek its own way. Love does not seek its own best. It seeks the best for others. And a lot of times we have a tendency to do things that appear good, but our real reason for doing that is for ourselves. I'm going to confess to you in the ministry, um, because I struggled sometimes with everybody's expectations of me and what they thought my job description should be, and I bristled against that at times. And instead of submitting myself to God, I would do what they expected. But I'll be honest with you, many of the time I visited a hospital not because I wanted to, but because it would make me look good. Oh, I did a good thing, but my motives for behind why I did it weren't good. 
I was really in it for myself, thinking, well, that'll hopefully get them off my back for another week, because I visited them. And then God, as I was sitting there on the airplane, gave me this list. And to see if this doesn't maybe speak to us. A husband may, be, appear, to be, may appear to be loving to his wife, but it is only in the hopes of getting something in return. Maybe a guilt-free round of golf. Sex. Permission to go out with the guys. You know what I'm talking about. You do something nice, but you have an ulterior motive. You're really doing it for you. Children will clean their rooms, but why they really did it is in hopes of getting the toy they want or keys to the car. A husband comes home to a really nice dinner and a super clean house. But how often are the motives for the gift truly pure? Whenever a husband nowadays buys his wife flowers, what's the inevitable question that she asks? What did you do? What did you do or what do you want, right? Isn't that, isn't that sad? If a husband were to buy his wife flowers, the first thought she has is, what, do you, what did you do or what did you want? This has to be for you more than for me. And folks, the more I thought about it, the more as I was doing this study, I wanted so much to just talk about these false teachers and I could have spent the whole time just showing you how oh, there's people out there right now in the ministry who are claiming to be this and that and they're false. And God kept saying, don't spend the time on the false teachers. Every single thing that drives what they do is in each one of us still. And until we are redeemed fully, now you say, wait a minute, aren't we fully redeemed? Oh, your spirit's been fully redeemed. But your soul is in the process of being sanctified, is it not? And your body won't be redeemed until the rapture. That baby's going to be just under, it's under the curse of sin. And, and just pray that it's, you, you keep it under submission through the spirit and the soul. I started to realize that this lesson wasn't about the false teachers as much as it was what's really in every one of us. Why do you love others in your life? Is your love pure? Or have we learned to be like the shepherds who feed only themselves? Now, we're not evil, wicked men who are headed for judgment, but the same corrupt desires of the flesh reside within us. And we must daily yield ourselves to the Spirit of God within us and not despise His authority in our lives. Ultimately, folks, it comes back down to, are you willing to lay yourself daily on that altar, which is your reasonable service or your spiritual act of worship? Are you willing to daily not be conformed to the pattern of this world, which is, I want that parking space, I got here first. Or obey your thirst. Have it your way. You deserve a break today. The pattern of this world is, every man for himself, me first. And the Spirit of God says to us in our Lord Jesus, let me say that again, our Lord, our Kurios, our Master, our owner of a possession, the one that's bought you with a price says to you, I want you to yield yourself to me. And oh, by the way, because you're in this body until you die, it's going to be pulling you away from me and the world's going to be pulling you away from me. The world's mentality is going to be, you don't have to live like that. You can live for yourself. You're going to have to daily lay yourself on the altar and submit yourself to the Spirit of God. And so what I want to do is I want us to go back to Galatians 5 as we wrap up. And I want you to listen again to Galatians 5, 16, and then verses 24 and 25. Galatians 5, listen to verse 16 again. I want you to see it, highlight it, underline it. Galatians 5, look at verse 16. Paul says, so I say, live by the Spirit. That means under the control of the Spirit, yielded to the Spirit, letting the Spirit be in charge. Live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature or the flesh. Did you hear that? Our focus is not on being more loving. Our focus is not to be a better husband or a better wife. There's too many sermons out there on five steps to a better marriage. Folks, listen to me. I don't care how hard you try. You cannot be a better Christian in your own strength. The only way it can happen is if you yield to the Spirit within you and He does it through you. And you live by faith in what He has promised He would do and said He would do. But that means a daily saying no to what you want and your motives and just to do it. Lord, I, I can't love my wife purely. I can't. But you can. 
and you will through me as I believe you will, and I'm going to do what it is you asked me to do, not looking for the reward, not thinking this will get me points, but just loving her for the sake of what it is. And I don't know if you even remembered, but part of the reason why we were on the bus on the way back and I was rubbing your ankles and your feet, which by the way, they were very dirty from a long trip, <laughs> was not because of anything I could get, but because God had been speaking to my heart. I haven't been the best at loving for loving's sake and for her sake and for Christ's sake. I'm good at loving for my sake. But he says, don't focus on what you need to do better. Focus on letting the Spirit of God be in control. And then listen to verses 24 and 25. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. I don't want you to miss that. He doesn't say you should. He says you have. What does that mean? What does it mean when he says those who belong to Jesus Christ have already crucified the sinful nature or the flesh with its passions and desires? What does that mean? Any idea? Christ has already done it in He's already done it. He has lived in this body, tempted in every way, yet he defeated this flesh. And he's the only one that can still do it. And he now lives within you. Therefore, the one who has already defeated the flesh lives within you and me. That means you have to learn to say, Lord, I can't do this thing you asked me to do, but I want to do this thing you asked me to do. Therefore, would you please do it? And I believe that you will. And I'm now going to do the thing you ask, believing that it's you, not me. Isn't that how you get saved? By the way, that's exactly how you got saved. Lord, I can't save myself. I can't do this thing that I need to be able to do, to be righteous before you. But you can. And I believe you will. And I ask you to do it. And I'm walking out of this encounter thanking you for my salvation, believing that you have done it. Right? Colossians 2.6. You heard me quote it a bunch, and I'm going to say it again. In the same way in which you received Jesus as Lord. Walk in him. So on the daily basis, you need to not sit back and say, oh, those false teachers. Oh, no. Everything they struggled with that they gave into and followed and despised authority, we have those same struggles. But hopefully we will not despise the authority of God and will submit ourselves and will let him live his life through us. And look at verse 25. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Oh, by the way, how many of you ever used to be in band? You've, you've, you've learned to march before, haven't you? In military, you've learned to march, right? No. Do you set your own cadence? Oh, no. no. How, do you, how do you march if you're in band? Right. Yeah, but you've got to pay attention to the one at the end, correct? There's someone you're keeping in step with and you are following. And that's a wonderful picture that Paul gives us. Keep in step with the Spirit. Oh, how do we do that? Well, we've got to listen. <laughs> We gotta listen with our hearts and with the spirit within us. We gotta stay sensitive. My kids, let me tell you, stay sensitive to the spirit and you'll be fine. Those who have grown insensitive to the spirit have pierced themselves with many griefs. And if so many of us look back over our lives, we look at a few times in our life that we have had some pain and some trials and some sorrow and some things we regret because we weren't sensitive to the spirit. But the good news of being a child of God is, is he's willing when we run back to him to say, Daddy, I'm back. I'm sorry. And he'll do like he did the prodigal son and say, I wish you didn't have all those scars and all those memories, but I'll accept you right now like you never were gone. And that's the good news of being a Christian. So my prayer for you, each one of this is this, that you would see for yourself what it means to submit to the authority of God and not follow the... Well, stay in the struggle against the flesh. Stay in the struggle. Yes, sir? You know, Romans 6 is a good verse. Uh, reckon yourselves dead to sin. Exactly. Sin has no power over us. It really doesn't. Except when we choose to We sin. choose who we serve, it, it says in no Romans 6. He even said, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. You have the say, not in and of yourself, but because of Jesus within you. Romans 6 is a powerful. That's a wonderful passage. Yes, sir? Did you... 
you quickly said something a minute ago that caught my ear about the rapture. You said that's subject to sin. No, no, no. No, no, no. I said our bodies won't be fully redeemed until the rapture. Yeah, your spirit's redeemed. You're made new in your spirit. You're alive to God. Your spirit is saved. Your, your spirit is good. Your soul part of you is still under the process of being conformed to the image of Christ. Your will, your intellect, all that stuff, your emotions, that's still under the shaping process. Your spirit's been redeemed. Your soul is in the process of being redeemed. Your body won't even be redeemed until the rapture and you get your new one. We're always in that process. Yes, you're always in that process. Yep. Let me pray for us. Father. Again, we just want to stop and say thank you for your word. Thank you for the things that you show us. Lord, in this passage that I've seen over the years and just looked at those evil, wicked, false teachers, and it was easy for me to preach because I wasn't like them. But Lord, I want to thank you for the fact that you showed me as I sat there and did this study and you spoke to my heart that I'm just like them. But the big difference is I have been redeemed by your spirit. I've been forgiven of my sins and you will never leave me and you will continue to work out what you've worked into me and you'll finish what you started but you desire that I stay sensitive to your spirit that I don't despise your authority and Lord I know I struggle and I know all the people in this room still struggle if Paul struggled and John the Baptist struggled and Lord we all struggle but Lord my prayer is that we would stay sensitive that we would not be like the horse of the mule that has to have you put a bit in its mouth to turn or else they won't listen. But we wouldn't become like brute beasts before you. Father, in some way or another, some of us need to spend some time with you alone and deal with certain things that we've become hard-hearted about, some sin that we have ignored, that you lovingly have been saying, this isn't for you and I have better for you. This isn't for your best, but we have thought that we could play both sides of the fence. And Lord, tonight may we confess it and give it to you and seek your full pardon that's been accomplished through your death on the cross. Lord, there's some others of us that are a little embittered towards you because of things you've done or allowed or decisions you've made in your purpose and your plan in each of our lives that we didn't understand or like. And it's caused us, we followed you, but we've kind of followed at a distance. Father, may we deal with those areas tonight and receive your forgiveness and your love and your grace as we soften our hearts back to you. And we don't keep that aspect of that area of our lives shut out from you. Father, in whatever way it is you've been speaking to our hearts from this study, may we respond and may we say soft-hearted. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.